Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And we are so happy that you are here to join us for our holy happy hour. Yay! (laughs) That's all I had. Perfect. And Alexandra? Yes. I wish you a happy feast of St. Hubert. St. Hubert? Yes. I know he's a favorite of yours for a very particular reason. And we'll find out why, but I'm going to shake things up a little, no pun intended. I'm going to make the drink first. I'm tired of just being a tease. <laughs> we, we're just going to start with the drink. Is that all right with you? I don't know, Mike. I just really want to hear you talk a little bit more before... Yeah, no, make the drink. Absolutely. All right. So the drink for the day, which I will explain later, is called the Hunter Cocktail. So I'm going to go over and make it, and if you could give me the ingredients. All right. The Hunter Cocktail involves, I'll name the liquors, rye whiskey, cherry brandy, it's also called Kirsch, and then a maraschino cherry. All right. Which is optional, and we opt for a yes. So how much of the rye? You're going to do one and a half of rye. Okay. And then three quarters of an ounce of cherry brandy. And you are going to stir with ice until very cold. There is no citrus and it's clear. So we're going to stir. count but i'm sure it's very cold and now we are going to strain and then we shall add our maraschino cherries thank you for offering to make the drink right away we very much value listener feedback and we recently heard from a listener after one of our podcasts where I think Alexander got a little bit tipsy on chartreuse. <laughs> Someone wrote in and said, they should have a shot of chartreuse before every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the equivalent is making the cocktail a little bit faster. Excellent. And excellent. so much more interesting after a drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Cheers. Cheers. St. Hubert. Pray for us. Uh, Yummy. Not bad. Mm -hmm. A little sweeter than I expected, but good. So Kirschewasser is a special kind of cherry brandy. I think it's made from the kernels. I just know that it's dry and clear. I think it's made from the pit. Well, that's... Yeah, pit. I meant to say pit. But I know that's true of maraschino liqueur. I'm not sure if it's true of Kirschewasser. But... It looks the same as maraschino liqueur. So if you're out of Kirschewasser, you could use maraschino. Which is significantly sweeter. Maraschino 
is not significantly sweeter. It's certainly not as sweet as a, a cherry liqueur, which is red and sweet like cherry hearing. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is a, an easy cocktail to make. And why are we having a hunter cocktail, Alexandra, for the Feast of St. Hubert? Well, before we go there, can I just comment on the cocktail a little bit longer? Comment away. It's somewhat similar to my favorite drink, which is a Manhattan. That's all I was going to say. And sometimes we make a Manhattan, thanks to our friends, the Wards, uh, with whiskey, rye, and sweet vermouth. That's the normal part. And then adding a little bit of maraschino liqueur. Oh, there you go. Gives it a little sweetness and just like adds like a layer of flavor, and I think it's great. So Excellent. This is similar to it, and I really like it. Thank you. And since you mentioned sweetness, we might as well do full disclosure. We did run out of Kirschwasser, and so we are using maraschino liqueur. Yeah. And so this... The added sweetness did surprise me because I remember the hunter being somewhat more dry. So you're right. That's probably due to the, uh, okay. the maraschino <gasps> and not the Kirschwasser. You stumped me. Can you just say that again? Just like slow. You are what now? Um, I think we're going to edit that part out. <laughs> you are right. I have a little part of my journal that's very short. The times that Micah said, you are right. Not because... Ouch. <laughs> not because that means you're not nice, but because I'm never right. <laughs> Okay, why this cocktail, The Hunter for St. Hubert? I know. Tell me, tell me, please. Because part of his conversion was that he was illicitly hunting on a Friday. Good Friday. On Good Friday. And he was about to kill a deer. And then he heard a voice or he saw an image between the antlers. He saw an image of the cross. Yeah, just so you know, the short answer is it's because he's the patron saint of hunters. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> and then there's a story behind it. He's the patron saint of hunters. He is the patron saint of hunters. So that's why we have a hunter cocktail for him. Okay. Uh, tell us the story. It's kind of a sad story. I never knew the full story until researching more deeply. But he was a happily married man, a Frankish nobleman. And he and his virtuous Christian wife loved to go riding and hunting together. Oh, we like hunting together. We will get to that. So they were very happy, and then she got pregnant, and they were very excited. And then at the beginning of Holy Week, she died in childbirth. Oh, my goodness. And he was grief-stricken. So for consolation, he went out hunting. The problem is... He went out hunting on Good Friday, which was a huge no-no. A Christian is not supposed to bear arms on Good Friday. In the Middle Ages, even wars would stop during Lent and especially Good Friday to honor the day that our Lord died. So while the rest of the faithful were gathered in church, he was out hunting. And like you said, he saw a stag, a large buck, and he drew his bow to nail it, and the The buck turned and looked at him, and between its large antlers was a glowing cross. Hmm. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, Hubert, unless thou changest thy ways, thou shalt surely go to hell. (laughs) Well, that was enough for Hubert. And he changed his ways, and he became first a priest, and then the bishop of Maastricht. I want to go there, by the way. Yeah, Yeah. you do. Amsterdam, yeah. Cool. Go on. So... That is how he became the patron saint of hunters. So did he give up hunting altogether? Well, in the Middle Ages, hunting was discouraged among clerics, but it was not forbidden. 
Okay. So he could have continued. Okay, well, continue the story because that was a spoiler that he became a cleric. Well, I, I mentioned he became a priest and a bishop. Oh, I didn't think we got there yet. <laughs> the drink well, is having its effect. Wow, that happened quickly. <laughs> Short-term memory loss. And there wasn't even chartreuse in it. <laughs> I probably had any of my drink, too. So the story is not necessarily 100% reliable because there's another guy named St. Eustace that had the same story several centuries earlier, and he is also a patron saint of hunters. But for better or for worse, the story stuck, and there are these really cool hunting traditions surrounding the Feast of St. Hubert. So for our listeners, Mike is, would you call yourself an avid hunter? I think I'd have to be successful in order to be avid. Okay. So you're an enthusiastic hunter. I'm interested in an hunting. An avid hunter is someone who's got like, you know, got a lot of kills on their wall or something or, or just kind of any success. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you have had some success. But you are, you are increasingly interested in hunting, it seems like. And I think we'll talk about that later. Indeed. But he's, he's now been bamboozling me into hunting with him, which has been surprisingly fun. All right, so I was going to talk about St. Hubert's customs, but we're on a roll. So Alexander and I have gone hunting together for the first time this season, and we have gone dove hunting twice together. Is that correct? That sounds right. Yeah, we were so successful. And as a first-time hunter, how do you feel about it? There's a lot of downtime. (laughs) But once you kind of realize that it's not like, I'm an active person, I play tennis, I like to run... Uh, but, you know, once you kind of recognize that this is not going to be like the sportif, <laughs> this is going to be you're sitting around, maybe drinking some wine or something and thinking your thoughts. Like once I kind of got into that zone, then I really liked it. And then, and then you know, just thinking your thoughts, but observing nature and, you know, just slowly appreciating and seeing how things change in front of you. That actually is really fun for me. I was impressed by the way in which you became so much more attentive to nature after a while mm-hmm. that you could... You were listening to the sound of every bird. Right. You were looking at their flight patterns, trying to recognize them. It seemed like you became much more attentive. Well, I think that's what happens when you when you start to hunt, is that it's not just about things that you kill and blood that you let, but that you are engaging nature. And people have different ways of engaging nature, and hunting is kind of a cool one. I have yet to actually kill anything. Yeah, so that brings us to the next thing. So I'm indifferent about the killing, but the rest of it's pretty fun. I also look amazing in camo. You really do. You blend right in. <laughs> right. Right. It's very Christian. You kind of lose yourself. <laughs> the invisible woman. Yeah. So we, uh, we've only gone twice. We just bought some beautiful land and we were out in this meadow. Unfortunately, there wasn't much food for the doves, but we had these decoys. There's that... also not, not enough food for me. I was really happy right. I were out there next time, pack snacks. Yeah. Yeah. You learn every time. Yeah, that's true. So at one point, we actually did attract doves, and the decoys were so successful that it tricked two doves into actually landing in the meadow looking for food. And so it would have been a perfect opportunity once they took flight again to try to shoot them. But we had put down our shotguns and had gotten lost in a conversation about Leonard Cohen's song, Alleluia, Mm -hmm. whether it was about God or shall we say, much more carnal matters. Right. 
And so we were having this That's debate. right. We got deep in, I forgot that. We got deep in conversation about Alleluia. Exactly. And so then we fumble around, grab our shotguns, and by now the doves are like, yeah, there's there's nothing here. We're out of here. Yeah, they just went, hey, yeah. and flew away. So this is why we're not really avid hunters, because an avid hunter would never get lost in conversation over Leonard Cohen's right. Alleluia. The point of being there is a little more evident. Yeah. But it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. I look forward to it again. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm the kind of person who's going to like get up at three in the morning and do it or do it when it's freezing cold or blazing hot. I'm kind of a fair weather, literally fair weather hunter, I'd say. And again, it's about the experience to me and the observation and engagement with nature more than blood. Yeah. And then eating what you killed. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later, but we should probably circle back to Hubert. Sure. Uh, Some very cool customs. So November 3rd happens to coincide with the opening of deer season. And he has a very strong association with the season. Mm-hmm. In Europe, there are special masses to St. Hubert where the hunters show up in their red or green hunting jackets. Mm. Dogs and horses are allowed into the church. And during the consecration, the hunters blow their bugles. Hmm. <laughs> we don't have a bugle. I know. We love We also don't things. do fox hound, don't. fox hunts with hounds and all that other good stuff. But, but just sartorially, I love those clothes. I had a red hunting jacket in high school. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's super cool. No doubt about it. I haven't even like, you keep making me wear camo, but I haven't even thought about really buying hunting clothes. That would be so fun. Yeah. Like in Brideshead. Yeah. Okay, go on. But with a red hunting jacket yeah. does not work. <laughs> right. No red. Yeah, exactly. Um, You mentioned fox hunting, so he's got a special association with deer, and all kinds of hunters invoke him, but he is actually especially associated with bassiters. Do you know what a bassiter is? No clue. I'm going to guess it's someone who hunts with a basset hound. That is correct. (gasps) Ding, ding, ding. And the difference is the basset hound was designed for hunters who walk on foot. So weird to talk about animals that were designed like yeah. GMO. Yeah. 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 Well, they were bred, I should say. Sure. And according to the legend, it was St. Hubert who first bred the Basset Hound because he felt sorry for all of the fat, lame French noblemen that couldn't handle the rigors of a horseback ride. And so he invented this stubby legged hound. that the Frenchman could keep up with. Oh, my goodness. And then go after a small prey or whatever. (laughs) It's just so weird. Like, he basically cut the legs of a dog in half. Can we rephrase that? Sure. sounds really bad. Everyone who's listening has seen the Basset Hound, but, like, you know, intentionally shaved down the legs. That's no better, I realize. Yeah. So that they would be slow. Like, he slowed them down. Yeah. I think they're adorable. They are adorable. So the, the Basset Hound is for the foot hunter, and then the beagle was for the fox hunt. I'm tempted to ask a question about the beagle, but I feel like we're going on too long. Yeah, and I actually don't have any info on the beagle. Oh, I well, just, there it is. I just know that there's a special tie between Basseters, as Basset Hound hunters are called, mm-hmm. and Hubert. All right. And they wear his medal when they go hunting. Oh, neat. So there are a couple other cool objects associated with St. Hubert. There is a special blessing of water, salt, and bread in the old book of blessings to guard against rabies, because that was a huge concern for medieval hunters. Their dogs would get bitten by the prey, 
and then they die of rabies, and that was very bad. So he became a special patron against rabies, and uh, if you t- took his blessed water, salt, or bread and gave it to the, the dog, it would hopefully cure it of rabies. Another one that's more interesting is St. Hubert's Keys. According to legend, St. Peter mystically gave Hubert a key, which is to guard against rabies. And what you're supposed to do is put it in the fire until it's red hot and then put it on a fresh wound and it will kill the rabies virus. And it actually does work. Hurts like hell. Right. Dogs don't like it so much. Not a big fan of it. Google Hubert's keys. It's all kind of weird, like nails, crosses, all kinds of weird little uh, shapes. But it sounds like you don't actually have to have a key. You could just have like a piece of metal, dog got a bite, or... It's called a key, but it's often not shaped like a key. Oh, I gotcha. That's really neat. Yeah. But again, cool. like you don't have to buy it. You could just use a piece of metal. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not cool that way. It's it's St. Hubert's keys. Peter gave I guess Hubert you're evoking a saint. Oh, all right, all right, all yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. We're not getting one, Mike. <laughs> well, we don't have the same problems. Yeah. I love your hunting habit, but one of my tiny, tiny peeves that I consider a pet <laughs> the acquisition of things that go with it. Like I would love to get rid of things at this stage of our life. And Mike is acquiring a lot of hunting things. So only the bare necessities, my love. Yeah, sure. Only oh, seriously. I'm not like know, one of those true. guys that has, you know, a whole room full of rifles or all the gear, or all the blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you're, you are spare. It's just like, it's been, yeah. a, it's been a new thing over the last five years. And I'm like, what? there's a whole room in our house and our attic devoted to hunting stuff. Now it seems. Absolutely. And I affirm you. Can I have just one room in the house? Did you want to have that conversation in front of everybody? <laughs> Can I mention one other object? Yes. The Blessed Virgin Mary is said to have given St. Hubert a stole. And if you take a thread from this stole and insert it under your skin, it will cure you of rabies. Oh, hold on. Nope. Nope. I'm sorry. So what? You're taking a thread mm-hmm. and you're inserting it? Under your skin, like not like in the fold of your armpit. Right. But you're putting under your skin. That just seems like infectionville right there. Well, I would agree, but you know who said it worked? Jesus. Louis Pasteur. What? That's yeah, insane, like Mike. A, a bona fide scientist like said, oh yeah, you know, this works. It's been proven. Well, you get so much more interesting <laughs> after a cocktail. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Isn't I have never crazy? heard that. Totally That's random. Insane. Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. What's the science there though? He's a scientist. I don't know. And he invented pasteurization. He's all about right. bacteria and disease, but he's like, oh, no, no, the stole works. I'm it- raising some kind of flag here and say like that just sounds apocryphal or bad science or you're just making stories up. This is not a good podcast for fact checking. So let's just not. <laughs> okay. The very least. Down there. Okay. Well, let's do a little contest. Mm-hmm. We encourage a listener to uh, do the research and write to us and tell us if uh, this is true about Louis Pasteur and if you know anything about the science behind it. Mike, how can they contact us? We were going to announce during today's podcast that we have a website. You may have already known that part, drinkingwiththesaints.com, but we now have an email, podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com, and we would love to hear from you. So please send us your comments, questions, um, challenges, challenges, and we can... if. You know, some of them we can respond personally, some we can, we can respond to via the podcast. So please be in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. So it's podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. Did I just slur that? No, you did that beautifully. And it's it's the at symbol, Alexandra. At, at dot com. 
<laughs> Got it. Okay, so we've talked about some pretty bizarre things associated with him that have to do with hunting. As always, I'd like to circle back around to alcohol. Are there any? Yeah, thank you. Um, Are there any liqueurs? Because I think I remember one from college. You probably do. There are two that I know of. One is hmm, from Eastern Europe. I think it's Hungarian called St. Hubertus, and it's a liqueur. But the one that probably our listeners are most familiar with is the infamous Jägermeister, <laughs> which literally means master of the hunt. And if you look at the label of every bottle of Jägermeister, it has the symbol of St. Hubert on it, which is the stag with the glowing cross between its antlers. A bottle of Jägermeister is so beautiful. It's got that beautiful green glass, has a beautiful label, and the uh, stag you mentioned is so great. Why is it that everyone has like shivers down their spine when they remember Jägermeister? Is this just, again, feedback people tell us, am I the only one who has this reference? Well, it's abused terribly, or at least it it was in our generation (laughs) during college. I don't know if, if college students are still as foolish enough to do that, but oof. I, yeah. I graduated college about in like 93, 94, and uh, one of our friends... You don't remember? <laughs> well, because I graduated a year late, Mike. We don't okay. tell that story. <laughs> Future podcast story. Um, She's a slow learner. But the, <laughs> quiet man reference. Um, but we had a friend, He we, we always associated him with the Jägermeister, and I, but I've asked my friends recently from college, like, why do we associate him with the Jägermeister? None of us can remember. Oh, dear. But there was like some reason. But I, well, I'm sure I think, there was. I mean, I think I had Jägermeister one time in excess, and then I, I'm not sure if I've had it since. So it's kind of medicinal tasting. Very medicinal, just very strong and bitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an herbal liqueur. It was invented in 1934 by a German who was an avid hunter. And that's why he dedicated it to St. Hubert, master of the hunt. So like Chartreuse, you know, is there some medicinal thing that it's got like things that warm the hunter besides just the alcohol part that just makes you, I don't know, hale and hearty for the hunt? I would love to know how he recommended its use because it's it's hard to use well. It's just so darn strong. Yeah. Um, Someone ought to write a book. Cocktail. Well, I, I didn't find a good recipe that involved Jägermeister. Right, there's another challenge for I, our I, listeners. Okay, good. Come yeah. up. That would be really awesome. In fact, I Truth am just... Truth to tell, I didn't look too hard. <laughs> I am just going to go out there on a limb and offer a free book Whoa. to somebody. Yeah, I'm just giving stuff away. One cocktail, man. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Give stuff away. That if someone can come up with a cocktail that I personally like involving <laughs> Jägermeister, we will send you a signed copy of the deluxe edition of Drinking with the Saints. How's that for fun? Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, since I didn't agree to this, you're going to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants my signature. I'm like, oh, great. Got her signature. <laughs> Actually, I bet you, everyone wants your signature. So uh, one other thing about Jägermeister that intrigues me and I, again, I don't know the full story behind this, but he made this in 1934 in Germany and dedicated it to the patron saint of hunters. <gasps> that, my beloved wife, must have taken guts because... Nazis. The 
Yeah, Nazis. So you think, oh, I'm sure they loved blood, blood sport. No, as Hitler, it, as you've ahead. told me, I think this is so fascinating. Hitler was completely against hunting. Hitler was a vegetarian or kind of a lapsed vegetarian. And Wait, why do you say lapsed? Well, Goebbels <laughs> said he was a vegetarian, but there is evidence that he was a vegetarian and then he'd occasionally have meat. Okay. Like he wasn't like a strict observer. But it was his intention to shut down all of the slaughterhouses of Germany after they had won the war. But he knew he could not take away the Germans' Brockwurst and Notwurst while they were fighting the war. Totally. So he, he saved that little nugget for after his victory, which, thanks be to God, never came. Thanks be to God. But Nazi Germany was the first uh, modern nation to impose strict anti-hunting laws. Hmm. And Hermann Goring, who is Hitler's right-hand man, we have the notes from his psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said his hatred of hunting was pathological. And when the subject came up during sessions, he would scream, how could anyone do that? It's murder, it's murder. Yeah, well, Goring, high, Goring, high was, Goring was the guy who was one of the architects of the Holocaust. Right. Unbelievable. So... so Indifferent to 6 million Jews, but crazy about hunting, crazy against hunting. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that maybe his dad was a hunter, and maybe he <laughs> had daddy issues. It makes you wonder. Really, that's just so weird. Like, So I know that you're really interested in hunting, not just in the doing of it, but you're actually writing a book on hunting? Yeah, I, I have I mean, a collection sort of, a- of stories from the Bible and from church history called Hunting and Fishing with the Saints. But that'll be a while before it comes out. It's like a back burner uh, project, which is great. Yeah, but a lot of fun stories. Also makes hunting stuff tax deductible. (laughs) Always thinking. Um, But you think that that for you, there's something like, for hunting for me, is kind of like, you know, I don't even really like to eat the food. Like I'm one of those people that, you know, I try to be back to the land and I love grass fed everything and, you know, try to be healthy. But getting my meat under from cellophane, like, kind of is easier for me than watching my husband gut and take apart a hog and then be like, oh, I got to make it into something. That's a little hard for me. I'm a little, I'm a little squeamish. Mm-hmm. But you believe that there's actually like real ethics to hunting. Yes. I mean, one argument in favor of hunting is that it is to kill an animal in hunting is a far more ethical way to dispatch an animal than the modern commercial methods of factory farm harvesting. Hmm. Oh, I like that. So it's like, they've had a good life. They've been running around. Seriously, they've been wild and free. Right, right, wild and free. That's a great magazine, by the way. (laughs) They've been frolicking around, you know, having a great time. And then life is over. And then not just, you know, and then you get to be, you know, someone's feast. That's right. And it's a heck of a lot better than being, you know, raised in a crowded pen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think there is an ethical argument. And also hunters today are an extremely important part of the conservation movement. They were clearly once a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hunters drove several species into extinction. And when you read these accounts in like the 19th century, they're just horrible. But then they wised up. You have like Teddy Roosevelt and the national parks. And the big hunters also became conservationists. And now hunters play a very important role in fostering native animal populations. I happen to know we live in Texas, and our state is really great. I've heard you talk about 
our state is really great about, and maybe this is every state, I just don't really know, but adjusting like what your limit is. Like if you're going to go out for dove, my friend Michael is a big dove hunter and he was telling me like, this year you can get 15 because the dove population, they've observed the dove population is bigger. And then last year it was only 12 or something because they saw like, so they're observing nature and seeing like, how much can we let hunters do? That's exactly right. And that's really cool. The main game that are being hunted today are in no way close to being threatened by extinction. So so we're not going to have a bald eagle. Exactly. People aren't hunting bald eagles. And yeah, there are plenty of doves and there are plenty of deer. There are too many deer, in fact. Every year, deer kill more human beings, 10 times more human beings than all predators combined. Because what? Of, because of uh, driving accidents, right? The, the deer go out into the road, they hit a motorist, and the motorist dies. So 10 times. So all the alligator, bear, shark, mountain lion attacks, rattlesnakes, whatever, all the predator attacks combined, deer kill 10 times as many people. Not to mention if you're from the Northeast. Lyme disease. Oh, yeah. Our dear friend, Mike Marcucci. Hi, Mike. Uh, was one of the first cases of Lyme disease, which, you know, is gen- usually carried, uh, takes it on the backs of, of deer. And my dad had Lyme disease. It's awful. And yet, like, where my parents have a house, they can't, you know, you can't get rid of the deer. I hear you. So we're doing a humane thing, Alexandra. I just, we should be more on board. I just want some, I mean, you do some of the cooking of that, but sometimes I get tired of eating all the game meat. Oh, come on, man. It's delicious. You put the ham in the smoker. That was fantastic. But we were eating that ham for like two weeks. Well, I was, but I love ham. That's so. true, actually. After two days, we were like, that's daddy's ham. <laughs> One time I harvested a deer, and for Christmas, Alexandra made venison wellington. We took the back strap of a, of a deer. Which I think our friend instead, Todd Beers gave us. Instead of, uh, no, that was the one I harvested. How dare you, My madam? Bad. <laughs> okay, sorry. You got your own deer and you, you gave me the, the backstrap. backstrap. Like yeah, that, which is like the tenderloin. tenderloin. Yeah. yeah. And that, what did I, I made a... A Wellington out of it. A beef Wellington. And we had that with Father Red over Christmas. That was so fun. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting hungry now. Usually I get thirsty from these podcasts, okay. but now... I'm hungry. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been lovely. Hope we didn't scandalize you with our, our blood sport. So thank you for listening and to your health and holiness. Thanks for joining us. And please write us, ask us questions, criticize us. We want to hear from you. Don't criticize us, but we do want to hear from you. Criticize us. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints and find Drinking With The Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking With The Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.